0: Welcome to the latest edition of Client Horror Stories, where we dive into client horror stories and we extract lessons so Mm -hmm. others don't make the same mistakes that we did. I'm honored today to have the one and only Colin Slattery here. Thank you for joining me via Zoom,
1: Colin. Thanks, Morgan. It's it's definitely good to be here. I'm uh, excited, well, excited to share uh, my story and uh, hopefully, can get some lessons out of it for other people, so they don't uh, experience the same thing. So, uh,
0: so hopefully, something something good good comes out comes out of it. That's right. That's right. Let's let's ju- let's jump right in. i have have my tea ready to go.
1: <laughs> well, um, I mean, we have so many different options to choose from, uh, but I think the one you know we wanted to talk about was. Uh, Mm -hmm. Clients not listening, ignoring red flags, and, um, you know, not listening to yourself uh, when, you know, you you know, kind of what is going to happen, but, uh, you know, not trusting yourself. Not trusting your gut. That's right.
0: Yeah. And, you, need uh, a lot of, you need a lot of pain before you learn to listen that your gut you usually knows the right answer.
1: Well, and, and sometimes you have to relearn that lesson even once you've learned it uh, before. But uh, <laughs> you know, hope, hope, hopefully we can uh, certainly help other people reduce, uh, you know, the number of situations that they, oh, they run okay. into with those sorts of clients and, uh, you know, clients not not caring as much about, let's say, their business as you care about their business.
0: Oh, this sounds like a good teaser. So let's. So t- t- uh, what's the context or the background for, for this client? Or uh,
1: tell us the story. Sure. So, um, you know, I do a lot of work with small DTC brands. So uh, new, you know, new e-commerce brands, um, lots of different verticals. And so this was, this was actually last year. Um, so this was a 2020, We started working together in, I think it was April or May, um, and then stopped working together in August.
0: Um, By the way, I, I will point out, knowing nothing other than this, that was just as the pandemic was getting crazy. So it was a particular moment where everyone was like, oh my God, what's happening? So So crazy clients were likely to be even crazier
1: then yes um and they had been doing some advertising actually but they weren't happy with the previous agency um and you know we're bad mouthing the previous agency kind of red flag number one um and so we were working together and actually let's i just want to interrupt that's a really good red flag to point out
0: Badmouthing the previous agency I, I would it's definitely a red flag one that i didn't realize when i was younger and the metaphor i would use is if you uh, start dating a girl who only has terrible things to say about her ex-boyfriends you would think hmm, you have so many bad ex-boyfriends is it really every guy's really bad or maybe you are doing something
1: wrong <laughs> exactly yes that is definitely uh, kind of the perfect analogy for it um yeah, and like I'd say, like, you know, if, if they have something to bad to say about, like, one agency, yeah. but if, if, they're gen, if they're burning through them um, and they never hold have anything good to say, it's, you know, uh, I should have brought, like, a red flag prop for this, um, but. My red you know, shirt. <laughs> there you go. Maybe, uh, maybe we can Photoshop one in, uh, you know, raising a red flag. Um, so that was definitely, uh, you know, early, something I ignored in the kind of discovery process for sure. Um, but you know, one of the things that I've, I've noticed, and, and this is kind of, I guess what we're going to get into a, a broader discussion of, um, you know, early companies, there's a lot of things that go into like successful advertising, right? You know, most of the people I imagine who are listening, I hope, or po- possibly watching, um, you know, understand that advertising is just kind of like one component of the successful, Ecosystem, yes. right? Like, we're going to bring the traffic to the website, but it's your products that are going to help. Like, it's how well your website converts, you know, what your emails look like. So, it's a whole big ecosystem of factors that go into success. Um, and the advertising is just one component of it. And so, being the sort of experienced advertiser that I am and working with lots of brands, um, We'll frequently work with these small clients and give them lots of suggestions on like, you know, here's things you should do with email marketing. I'm not an email marketer, but I understand, you know, what, what is necessary and like give them guidance on things they should do. You know, I don't run a CRO agency, but I use hot jar and can be like, okay, well, you know, your your call to action is below the fold. Like maybe let's move that up so that you're going to get better conversions, things like that um, to help with the other elements of the business that ultimately are necessary for them to be successful and for us to make sure that they are successful. Um, and, you know, this client uh, had, and you know, this is not the only situation, um, had kind of this belief that advertising is magic and that if the advertise, Like they have to do nothing and if the advertisement isn't working. The ads aren't working. It's the advertiser's fault. And there's like, anytime they're suggesting, you know, let's say, you know, improving your CRO, you know, it's it's just passing the buck. Passing to, the buck. Ooh. Um, you know, it's 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 the advertiser trying to blame the brand for the failure of of the advertising. Um, you know, and and from my standpoint, so- oh, go ahead. So that that's that's a
0: good one. I've definitely encountered clients and potential clients that have this attitude that no, no, no a good advertising can, can solve all of all, all the problems. Did you do it did you realize that before you started working with them like did they give you signs that this was his attitude before you started or do or, or um or have you since developed ways in which you can sniff or smell if someone has that attitude, because that's it's it's important to avoid that.
1: Yeah, so I mean, there were definitely signs, right? So you know, one of the things that they said, you know, the previous agency had said was you need to get your email marketing set up and running better. You know, set up Clavio, for example, which is you know one of the big um, email marketing systems yeah. for for TTC and, and transactional sort of things. Um, and where like that was one of their complaints about the last agency was they didn't feel like they were taking responsibility for their failures. Um, And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I really wanted the business. And so I was like, yeah, that sounds right. Um, And to, you know, um, then got them as a client and the other agency was right on a lot of those things (laughs) and They just, they had no interest in sort of investing in the business um, from from their side of things. And uh, I've started incorporating a process going forward and since that where um, I start asking questions about what they're doing for the other areas and how they're approaching you know, like, what are you doing for email marketing? Are you using Klaviyo? Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your, your email marketing flows that you're running? Um, are you seeing success from those? Um, you know, are you doing CRO? Are you using landing pages? You know, getting a better understanding really about what they're doing from an investment standpoint into their business and like the success of their their web business. Um, as part of the overall sort of marketing structure so that the advertising work that we're doing can slot into its proper place in the overall sort of system that they have set up and they're working on and they're working on improving. It's not just them believing that kind of like advertising is a magical money tree where you just shake take it and and profit comes out and it doesn't matter, you know, what they're doing, they can just sit there and count money and do nothing. So something I found is that clients
0: with that attitude, you can never convince them otherwise. If They think something is, if they believe in magic, they believe in magic, which is why I like using questions to basically know not to take on clients like that, not to try to
1: change their minds. Yes, um, you're definitely right. I think ones who are able to be convinced that they're wrong is definitely the exception to the rule. Um, I haven't found one yet, so I haven't found an exception to the rule. Um, So it must be various small exceptions to that rule. But yeah, no, I mean, they generally are, as you say, very set and convinced that they're correct, that it's not about anything that they're not doing. It's just, it's your fault for being a bad advertiser.
0: I, I, I think the reason why most human beings think like that is because the alternative is to view the world as a massive set of lots of really uh, complex, small variables. And it's just much, much harder to understand and process the world, whether it's just like these million little things to tweak as opposed to good and bad.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's also hard to and look, I I'm will readily admit that I struggle with this as well. I'm sure most people here probably do and that's um you know, something that you believe and then getting data to the contrary it'll frequently make you sort of double down on your position instead of being like, okay, let me um you know, accept this new data that's come in like analyze the new data and potentially you know change my position based on that data Um, and it's not an easy thing to do uh, by any stretch of the imagination but uh, digital advertising and digital marketing it's a a data-driven world and we have to you know trust the data and when it tells us it's wrong like let's look at it and then really you know take it in I want to get
0: a quote in here that, that I really like, that I think is relevant. Keene, John Maynard Keynes, the famous early 20th century economist, famous for always changing his mind on lots of like big political issues. And he was once at a press conference where one of the reporters asked, asked him, well, you change your mind so much. What about intellectual consistency? To which Keynes had the beautiful response of the following. When I get new data, I come to a new conclusion. What do you do, sir? (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) perfectly encapsulates kind of like, (laughs) especially with digital, like what you should be doing and then should be doing generally. Um, And also obviously speaks to his intellect that he was able to do it so naturally and so easily. Like that was his fault.
0: Agreed, and it also speaks to his humor because I love how he ended that with a sir. What do you do, sir? Like this big respect towards an idiot. It's a bit like a fuck you. Like, so he was also clearly a funny guy.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not familiar with, I hadn't been familiar with that quote until you uh, shared it, but I, I like it and uh, we'll probably <laughs> probably start start using it. I'll, I'll, I'll write it down and memorize <laughs> it. <laughs>
0: get some value from this by the way for the um the podcast notes for each episode we we've been calling out the literary quotes that that one that one of us uses trying to give a, li- a literary event uh okay to this. so we'll we'll, we'll probably it'll we'll, it'll we'll be in the notes but so okay
1: I, I was gonna say no, i think I'm you're sorry. primarily the uh the literary guy here <laughs> so i don't i don't know if i have too much to contribute on that on that one I,
0: I did a recently with Josh Silverbauer where he was doing all these crazy musical quotes in order to make it make his points to to, to his argument about his crazy client. So you feel feel free to use song song quotes if it's more fun.
1: <laughs> I, I mean I I might get some uh, might get some Family Guy quotes in there. I can't promise you anything no. <laughs> That's about the the level I operate at, unfortunately, or fortunately, perhaps.
0: No judgment, no judgment. Um, okay, so this is okay. okay. So, so now that we have all this, um, all this context about, um, uh, about the red flag, he had this magical thinking. The as you start, as you start working with him, you realize that the other agencies' warnings were correct. Like, what
1: happened? Well, um, you know, one of the first things that we were doing is, you know, getting their advertising set up in the way that like we get it. let every agency has their own systems. We have our structures that we work with, um, and going through their data and the stuff that we're working with, you know, there were a lot of problems, um, particularly from the conversion side. So I do use like Google analytics and Hotjar to try to identify areas where there's, conversion loss you know like is your website taking too long to load like if it's yes. taking 10 seconds like no one's gonna buy anything so like you know I, i'm trying to identify the areas where um, problems are so that we can address them to improve them um and the advertising wasn't performing uh, particularly well um unless we were doing like an incredibly aggressive sale which is kind of another component of this if we want to discuss that um and you know, I'm spending a lot of time on stuff that not necessarily should really be spending time on because I really want to see them succeed. So, you know, putting together these large documents where like, here's the um, the report from Hotjar, you know, here's some recordings kind of like showing you where people are getting stuck, here is, um, comparing like your mobile traffic to your desktop traffic in Google Analytics and how like your your bounce rate and your conversion rate is significantly worse on mobile because your pages aren't really optimized for mobile. And, you know, here's what you should do to fix it. And just they had never they had no interest in doing any of it. And like, I don't think it's a problem with the website. You know, we've never had a problem with the website. You know, I just don't think your advertising is very good here's, you know, the things that you need to do to fix your advertising. Um, and, you know, I, I was kind of offended because, you know, the advertising it is good, like getting a lot of people to the website it, and it wasn't converting. And part of that could have been the advertising, but I also was able to identify through data, like things that they should be improving and you know we're completely unwelcoming to the idea that you know maybe there were issues that they should be correcting and and areas of improvement that they could be making, uh, and not just you know me with my magical money tree not shaking it properly.
0: Um. Okay. So so this is this is this is interesting. It's good to get color on this guys uh, on this guys on this guys magical magical thinking so what 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 this what this leaves me wondering is did you actually for, be, be, before, before that i want to point out it was a, a red flag went off in my head when he told you oh here are the things you should be doing like that that is that is another very good red flag to um uh, to look out for like the healthy clients are ones that trust you as the professional and the expert and the unhealthy ones the ones i know nothing about this but i'm going to tell you exactly what to do
1: yes um that is a huge red flag um i mean this client red flags all over will be identifying them all over the, the the podcast um yeah the the best clients are always the ones who are like we hired you because you're a professional uh i have no idea but we trust you because this is your job. Go do your job because that's why we hired you. Um, you know, if you ever hear like, "I'd be doing it myself, but I don't have the time," just run away, <laughs> run, <laughs> run away. Um, but I, I also that's a really good
0: nuance to it. I want to add another nuance to it where I've also seen clients. Sometimes a client' happiness changes over time. They're they're happy at first, but they become more frustrated over time. Like they like they have a bad program manager or account manager, account executive that, that that they're working with, for 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 example, and or at first they're optimistic that the results will be better than than it's than it's realistically possible. So I've seen clients change from being hands off to over time being increasingly meddling. So it's good to be sensitive to that change because the client's getting more into the details is usually a sign that they are less and less satisfied with your work.
1: Yes. um, That is definitely something that you'll notice. Um, It's always a bad sign when a client starts getting like really nitpicky about things. Um, So yeah, that's not a good sign for Um, sort of client longevity. And frequently it'll be something that's not even related to you. Um, But yeah, like wanting to be incredibly hands-on at the beginning uh, and telling you what to do, not a good sign, definitely not a good sign.
0: Whether it's in the beginning, middle or end, it's never a good sign. No, 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 no. And and also to be clear, it's not always because the client is an annoying client like sometimes like like you're just not good enough and you have to recognize that especially if we're speaking to younger versions of ourselves like all of us doing this the same work 10 years earlier you just don't have an, as much experience as as as, uh, as 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 we have now so so sometimes the clients are completely justified in being frustrated in this way
1: sure and and sometimes the math doesn't work out and that's kind of a, yeah, um, a a different topic but like sometimes the business that they have where their business is like they just can't make advertising work and you know it doesn't necessarily have to be your fault or their fault or anybody's fault it just is not a situation where it's it's going to work um, and that's frustration for everyone. It's a, uh, you know, a, a situation where you'll be putting in more work and you'll be losing money because you're working too much and it's still not working. And sometimes it's just, totally. you know, sorry that we couldn't make this work. We tried our best. We tried oh. our best. That's right. So,
0: so with, so, uh, so with this client, he, so he started meddling more, giving you suggestions. And then what happened?
1: I mean, that, that started happened? pretty. That started pretty early, yeah. actually. Um, so I was like, "Oh, they're like telling what me those? exactly like what images to run on the Facebook ads, and like, no, don't use this copy, don't say this, say that, and like telling me when to run things. It was like super hands on. So that was pretty early on." Um, and, you know, I tried to push back ultimately, but I wanted the client, I wanted the money. And so I did kind of let them dictate what was going on. And ultimately like it didn't work because um, I, most of well, lots of reasons, like their website wasn't good enough, but also like what they were telling me to do Was not what I believed was the right thing to do, and you know, expressed that like, don't think this is going to work, and here are the reasons why I don't think it's going to work. You know, let's do this. I've seen this work with other similar clients, um, but was ultimately, you know, let them kind of dictate it, and it didn't work, and I got blamed for it. Um, You know, like. Before we, go, before we go into the
0: blame, I have a question about that. Yes. So when clients are like that and they really pressure you to do something that you know is not going to work, like they want you to use these images and you know that type of image image won't, won't have the result. Do, sometimes I feel like I should have a policy of like the moment the client cr- like crosses the line because it, it, that to just step down. Like you can push back saying no i in my professional judgment i think i think we shouldn't do this and and if they agree with me great but if they don't agree with me then i um then i then, then, I, then I often think i uh, think i should just be much stricter like there's like you cross that line like like it's like sorry and sometimes i feel like the metaphor is with lawyers like lawyers have a similar back and forth note with, with their with their clients to get the right wording in a contract. But if a client insists on putting something that the lawyer thinks is illegal or bad or will hurt the client, like lawyer, like lawyers will just refuse to do it. So sometimes I think PPCs and digital advertisers should have that similar legal ethos. What do you think?
1: So it's something I struggle with. I in concept, I agree with you. And I think. If you're in a position where you can do it, um, that's great. Because ultimately, that is a position where you have to be willing to kind of be willing to lose the client over that sort of situation, where I feel like, no, I'm not doing what you tell me. I mean, frequently, if it's gotten to that point, their response is going to be, "Okay, I'll find someone else who will. So you definitely have to be in a position uh, where you're okay with that. you know, I do kind of, so I always talk about like um, like a PPC Hippocratic Oath, like do no harm, like a first do no harm uh, to the clients. And obviously that's how I try to operate in everything that I am doing. Um, and it's a challenging situation for sure when what the client is telling you to do, and you've pushed back already, and you've been like, this is, I'm, in my professional experience, advising that this is a bad idea and we shouldn't do this, and then they're like, "Do it anyway." Um, it's it's a tough position to be in because ultimately they pay your retainer. Um, but yeah, it's I, I think if you are able to say no and you're in a position to say no, I think it's good. Um, I know a lot of people, especially if they're earlier on in their career, probably don't have the luxury of like getting rid of work and getting rid of income. Um, But I have actually thought in terms of going forward, like in those situations, having them sign a document that basically says, this is being done um, against sort of at my professional recommendation and I am not responsible for the results of this action um so like we'll do it uh but there's a I, a thing you have, have to, say, to sign <laughs> own it I have to say
0: I, I kind of like that idea and it could just be like as easy as a simple web format you give them where they have to click agree 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 type in their name yeah. right that that makes it that makes it super clear clear and uh, an objective. I, you're, you're going to start using the Keens quote that I told you. I think I might start using the idea of getting clients to sign their name when they when they pressure me on uh, to do things that I I, that I think they shouldn't do.
1: I think it's a really valuable tool um, and, and or I think I haven't used it yet but I think it's a very valuable tool in, in concept because you're also then putting it on them right so like and and to be clear um, to everyone who's listening to this uh, you should have in your contracts like no guarantee of specific results and all kinds of other clarifications uh, to make it so that your clients can't sue you because if you're like the the worst sort of position that you could be in it's like your client forces you to do this right and then it doesn't work out and then they sue you over it be, even though it was their idea and they forced you to do it Um, so having this sort of document does protect you against that to a degree, but it also puts it back in their court where like, they now have to own this decision because you're literally telling them, this is not me. I have nothing to do with this. You have to acknowledge that you're doing this despite my, uh, strongly worded, uh, stance against it. And, here's a document that I need you to sign in order to do it because I'm not owning this, you're owning this. And so I think it's going to make it more real for the client um, and maybe they won't do it, but at you know, worst case, you do it and you're more protected against some of the downside risk.
0: Yeah, what I like about that idea is the psychological power behind yes. it. Like it, like it really makes the other person uh, be be re- really sure that, uh, that 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 they want to.
1: It slows it down too, because I mean, a, a lot of times, um, and it's natural. Like, you get worked up, and you're like kind of like spinning yourself into a tizzy, and like this can put um, put the brakes on it a little bit, and you know, give them actually a little bit of space to think about it more uh and hopefully be a little more reasonable or at least in concept i believe that it should work that way um i, I hope people will apply it and then uh, let me know how it works for you send send both of us emails contact
0: information below if that's right it, if
1: <laughs> my <laughs> email's <laughs> right there
0: exactly i they two youtube videos these days
1: that's right so this, is, this is interesting hit the bell right. subscribe <laughs> contact below the sad part is they do that because it works. <laughs> yep. They split tested it. They have the data. <laughs> exactly. They have the
0: data. Back to Keynes. So I'm going to backtrack to something you said about five five minutes ago that I thought was interesting. The Hippocratic Oath. Um, at first, do no harm because I'm a pretentious asshole. I usually say it in Latin. Primum non nocere. So I, <laughs> uh, so so I'm, I, I will admit, I'm kind of an anti Hippocratic Oath guy because I, I, I would fight the Hippocratic Oath by saying, by saying to make an omelet, you have to bake some eggs. And that is like, in, in other words, you often have to do small amounts of painful things in order to get the big benefit. To use a very modern example are vaccines. What is a vaccine? They take a really, really tiny version of that disease. And by getting a tiny version of that disease, you're inoculated against it. Uh, um, so 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 for so for example, I often bring on the pain. I have clients or employees or partners that are behaving badly. Like let's like, let's have the painful conversation, do harm, have the hurtful conversation. Say the difficult things that need to be said, because by bringing the issues out to the front now and discussing it openly, as difficult as it is, it's gonna. It's it's usually will avoid much much bigger problems when things just build up, build up, build up, in the end and, and and then explode.
1: So I don't even really view that as like doing harm, and I'm, I'm, I, and in general when I think about doing harm, I do think about um, you know generally very specific sort of things, and that is. Um, you know, dangerous advert or like truly wasteful advertising in a non-experimental capacity. Because ultimately, as you say, you do have to f- break a few eggs. Um, there are going to be things that don't work out. Uh, so I'm always, uh, you know, work with clients where we have an experimental budget. And I tell them like, the thing about testing is that it's not all going to work. Shit's going to fail spectacularly. And it's good because that's a learning experience. But when there are things like don't want them to waste lots of money on you know stuff that is not going to make sense and you know we'll say that or you know one of my favorite examples and i use this all the time is like well why don't we just like pull these images from these other websites and use them and like what you know what could go wrong and i'm like well you get sued by the photo sharing companies and it's five thousand dollars each time pay the $10, uh, I'm not using images that you pulled from somebody's website. Totally. Totally. Um, so, you know, in terms of like other things, so it is sort of like specific things like that or when they're like, yeah, let's build a mobile app for $50,000, I, I mean, and it's, you know, like I said, it's not in my advertising sort of area, but would, you're a, uh, you're a small moving company in New York City. Do you really need an app? Is anyone (laughs) downloading your iPhone app? (laughs) No, they're not. So don't do it. It's a waste of money. Um, You know, because, you know, like I said, do do no harm, no actual harm. Um, Painful conversations are ultimately, Usually, where the real growth happens, so they don't really consider those to be harmful because they're, you know, they'll, they'll live and hopefully their business will prosper because of the conversation.
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess it's, I guess it's the, it's the question of harm I, or what, what is harm. I think I just know a lot of people because I think you're a New Yorker, so I think New Yorkers, Lynn, I'm also a New Yorker. New Yorkers are very used to like be blunt. Straightforward, so so saying the difficult things isn't harm for a New Yorker, that's just how you talk in New York. You say the blunt truth, no matter how hard it is. Like, you did that's, yeah. that's not that's not being harmful or hurtful, that's just being a New Yorker, as that's opposed right. to when when you live in the Bay Area, like I, I live in California, San Francisco, um, a long time, and uh, and in the Bay Area, like, no one. Wants to like say anything that's not nice towards anyone ever. but rather ghost and disappear than say than, than say, than, than say something uh, not nice. And I think th- and those are the cases where where they view it as harmful to say words that aren't nice. And I and 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 my my view is the vaccine view. You need a little bit, a very little bit of that hard conversation so that there's, two, I love your phrase, like, it's, it's hard conversations where the growth and learning happens. Because so if you have, if you have that little bit of toughness in that conversation, that's, that's where both sides learn to improve for the future.
1: Yep. Growth is uncomfortable and you're not, you're not going to find growth and, and improvement and expansion in, in your comfort zone, whether that's relationships or, or advertising as well. Like, you. You're, um, you know, if you're running an agency or you're freelancing or whatever, the, 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 the times when you're going to see kind of the, the most improvement in your business, in your operations, are when you're doing something that feels a little beyond your capabilities. Um, and it probably will be, and it's gonna be uncomfortable and you're gonna be concerned about it, but that's how you get better and grow whether it's a business owner or just freelancer or whatever. Like Sorry. if you're just doing the same thing you're always been doing, you're not you're not okay. growing. I agree. Okay. So let's get back on track. So
0: it was clear working with this guy, he was meddling, telling you to do lots of bad things. You you would push back, but he would mm-hmm. pressure you to uh to do to do to make these changes that or against your professional judgment. You didn't yet have idea to make him sign something uh, to do that. So that, so that, that, that didn't happen. And, and did, did it blow up a moment uh, or, or if not, how, like, how, how, how did it end? I, I'm excited for the
1: denouement, the drama. I mean, the, the ending was pretty messy. Like they, they were really unhappy and like a, there were angry phone calls. Like we're not going to pay you. Um, I did end up getting stiffed for like, I think it was two months worth of work or something. Um, another lesson, like don't keep working if they stop paying their bills. Um, and, you know, it just, it felt, it, it, nobody won in this uh, situation. Like, uh, you know, I put in way too much work on something that and invested way too much effort and energy on, on my side of the thing, uh, the equation, when they just were not willing or able to do it themselves. Um, it did not feel like a partnership. It felt like I was doing everything and then it was never good enough and was getting blamed for, you know, when they're dropping the ball. Um, and so it was a fairly contentious end where wasn't getting paid and they were angry and I, I was angry and it was not, it was bad. It was not good. It was not a happy, like, it's just not working. Let's just call it um, best of luck to you. It was like, fuck you, you know? <laughs> I don't know if we could curse on here. Maybe you can put a big uh, bleep thing over me when I say no, that, but- um, I,
0: I like using the vulgarity. It makes it, it brings out the emotions and the strength.
1: Yeah, I was, you know, I was pissed. Um, and like, they were obviously unhappy too, but, you know, we, we invest a lot in our clients and in trying to see that they are successful or, you know, all of the people, probably all the people listening because you're listening to a podcast to, to learn and improve. So clearly you also are invested. Um, And, you know, when you invest all of that, I mean, it is a relationship, right? So if you're like investing all this time and effort and energy into this relationship to help like get the most out of it, and they're just kind of sitting there doing nothing and then blaming you for the failures in the relationship, it sucks. Um, And you feel unappreciated, you question like whether you actually do know what you're doing. Um, It's, it was bad, it is bad. Um, And it's something I definitely avoid now um, and you know, um, you know even in, in, a, in you know, a little over a year, like a much more comfortable sort of recognizing the red flags, saying no when you see them, etc.
0: So qu- these are all good lessons. Question. what um, what mistakes did you make uh, dur- dur- during this process?
1: So I definitely let them dictate, the sort of engagement way too much. Um, So I was too willing to let them tell me what to do and definitely too agreeable, certainly early on, instead of like setting appropriate boundaries. um, And it can be hard to set appropriate boundaries and it's something I still struggle with now, but like you cannot send me something on a Saturday morning and expect me to get it out Sunday afternoon. Um, and definitely don't send me a follow-up email Sunday evening following up on your Sunday morning email being like hey did you get the email have you taken care of this yet Um, so you know if you let people like so I definitely let myself kind of get walked all over and did not set appropriate like client provider boundaries like that was definitely something that um I failed miserably at, uh, for sure. Um,
0: that's yeah. I, I like to saying great fences make great neighbors and, but we because you really want to help them and you want them to succeed. Your instinct is to like not have any fences. So right. it's,
1: it's tough. Yeah. And, and ultimately like it's to your detriment, it's, to ultimately their detriment and like your other clients' detriments as well. And, you know, I've gotten very good about saying over the last year, like, I can't do this for you until X date. Um, and clients will then uh, have this in like an expectations agreement at the beginning, like where they can expect some degree of communication during business days to business hours, business days. Um, but that, you know, they need to get things to us at a certain time because we have other clients and we can't put your well being always above every other client. They have expectations and stuff they need to get done too, and it's not 100% about you. You can't get something to me on a Saturday and expect it to be done on a Sunday. That's unfair to everyone. Um, so, you know, I've definitely gotten much better about boundary setting. A subtle detail I want to add to that is it's
0: important to do that in the beginning because the way you act in the beginning sets the expectations forever. So like if you, if in the beginning you're responding Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, Saturday 4am, like then, then they're like, wow, this guy's going all the time, nonstop. And that's what they think you'll, you'll be doing forever. So if you ever one day say it's Saturday, 4 a.m., I'm just not going to respond to my client. Then, then, then that's when the
1: disappointment sinks in. Yes. Um, so we actually have an expectations agreement uh, that we send during the kickoff process that the client has to agree to, um, which kind of like lays out the ground rules for how the engagement will work. Because you know, we want to have a long and successful partnership, uh, but that means there's expectations for us. And that means there's expectations for them as well. Um, you know, it is a partnership, it's a relationship, and you know we're going to succeed together or we're going to fail together. And these are the things that we expect of you as a client, and these are the things that you can expect of us as an agency um, in this engagement. And it's all sp- like it's it's spelled out. It's bullets. Um, of what like we can expect from each other, uh, and it really sets a. I, I think, and in, in, since I've been using it for not quite a year, I'll call it eight to ten months um, with every client. Um, it sets a good, good foundation for a respectful and um, agreeable engagement where both parties know. Where the other party stands and and what they can expect to get out of it. What's
0: what I find interesting about that on a personal level is I do the same thing, but I'd never heard the phrase expectation agreements before. To me, it just I just write it, it's uh, just part of my my standard documents about like this is my work. this is what I'll, I'll I'll need from you. But I like the idea of codifying it into like a signed, formal, separate part and, and, and flushing and that out. makes it very clear in the beginning.
1: We, we talk about it on our kickoff call and I send the document to the client um, because it's very important, right? And, and, you know, we can do great work, but it's also about expectations, right? I mean, it's expectation setting. You can get a 5X return for a client and they're making tons of money, but if they were expecting to get a 10X, in, in their eyes you are failing miserably um, so it's very in, in my experience important to to have them set up the expectations uh, so that everyone knows what the situation is and, and what's being expected of each other this, this this is great
0: any other learnings or process changes that you made that that, that you made as a as a a result of this experience?
1: Well, there was definitely the expectations agreement for one, um, not continuing to work for clients who don't pay. Um, Like once you get past, so we bill invoices at the start of the month for, so we just sent out our July invoices yesterday. Um, It's July 2nd when we're filming this. So we sent our invoices for work done in July uh, yesterday on the first of the month. Um, If by August 1st, a client is, has not paid for July, like we're having a conversation about that. Um, And and, and sometimes there is like, oh, the checks in the mail or extenuating circumstances that can come up. I'm not saying like, you have to keep this as a, a hard and fast rule, but by like, I would say like August 15th, if the, the July check has not arrived, they haven't paid July, like we are not doing any more work. There is no more work. And they've been notified of this, right? So like by August, you know, they'll get a reminder halfway through July, and you like haven't paid yet. I will personally reach out towards the end of the month, asking them like what's going on, um, but we'll stop doing work because if you let a client do, if you keep working for three, four months or something without getting any payment, you end up you're not getting paid. Um, right. and it's a, another boundary right like ultimately this is a professional engagement and they pay you for your work and if you're continuing to work without getting paid how are you valuing what you do so definitely not letting people not pay um another rule i've had or lesson i've had to learn multiple times in my career um And I would say my sort of discovery, um, and this is something that happens, you know, ongoing. And I think people in general should continue to work on, you know, obviously improving all parts of your business. Um, But I've focused a lot on the discovery process and the pre-proposal process and weeding people out before I even invest the time and energy in putting a proposal together for them to make sure that, they are going to be a partner um, and not just someone who's going to expect magical things from the work that you're doing, uh, but are going to be invested in the success of their business as much as you're invested in that success and screening for those people in the discovery process. Uh,
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. Have you found any Formal ways to do it because, like, I screen for that also. But here's how I screen it: after a couple of meetings, like you can usually tell. After two meetings, I I usually get a sense. But what I haven't done is okay. Here's a question or a test or a thing to do that gives me a strong clue um, as as to whether it'd be this type of client or that type of client. Have have you have you found any tricks like that?
1: So there's one question that I love to ask, and that's: What experiments have you run recently? Um, and how did they go? Because if they're experimenting and testing things, that shows a degree of both like savviness in terms of operating, but also um, an investment in improvement in their business um, that testing provides. Cause like we're split testing ads, we're split testing landing pages. Like testing is the key to incremental improvement and success. And if they are running tests on their own, it indicates a level of investment to me that, you know, it's it's not a guarantee that they're gonna be like great and super invested, but it's a, in my experience, a good sign that they're willing to put in work and effort into improving their own business because they're doing testing on their own.
0: I like this. I, I like this. I might uh, add that question to my discovery as well.
1: It's great. It's and it's um, it's very interesting. Sometimes the kind of like things that they'll end up testing. Um, you know, a lot of the time it's email stuff. Um, or you know, UX type things. But testing is critical. And you know, I, I think if a client is testing on their own, it's great. Uh, and you should be testing too on your own stuff. So everything needs to, ABT, always be testing, always be testing. I might use that phrase as well, ABT. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Uh, I highly recommend adding it to uh, your discovery call for sure. Okay, this is great. Okay, okay, so, uh, so the, um,
0: the New Yorker to me will say that your story isn't the most gripping story I've heard. But what I but what I do like about our conversation is usually it's a it's a it's a crazy story, but with one or two small lessons. But what we've done is we've had an, we've had a, a normal story, but we've extracted a whole bunch of super interesting lessons. I feel like we've squeezed the lemon dry for this, uh, for this story, which is which is awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I haven't had, and I, I say this, like, from a relationship, like, dating standpoint, too, I've had, like, no nightmare first dates where, like, you know, the, the person, like, peed at the table or something, um, but, you know, in, in a way, like, those, <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that no one's peeing <laughs> at your table, you know, but in a way, like, I, I find, actually, you can get a lot more actionable insights about uh, from events that aren't such aggressive outliers um, because they're more likely to happen. They're more common. Yes. And so you're yes. going to be seeing great point great these point. situations um, more frequently, um, you know, like a, a, a client coming to your house and like threatening to beat you up with a baseball bat. Like that's a crazy outlier, but Not a lot of um, sort of actionable things you can take away from that, except, you know, keep a crowbar in your apartment or something. But by the
0: way, that's not just a great
1: point. I would make
0: a stronger version of your point, which which is this. If you only learn from like the huge things, that means you're a bad student. But someone has to drop a nuclear bomb on you to teach you to like not, don't invade innocent countries. Like that means you, that means you're a, uh, you're a student. But the good student is the one that where the like, super, super little things happen. And then they notice, Oh wait, this tiny little thing led to that. So I should improve in this. So even if, even if this story was, didn't involve anyone peeing on your dinner, dinner table, <laughs> it, it, it did say, Oh wait, we should have an, expectations agreement and we should get and we should get them to sign uh, to sign their name to, uh, if they want us to do any any changes that um, that's against our professional judgment and, like those two alone probably go go a long way towards uh, towards preventing the nuclear bombs
1: That's right and uh, once the nuclear bomb detonates like that's it so just better off avoiding it entirely
0: definitely definitely i uh i love these and i think i think i'm going to uh adopt these into my process any other concluding thoughts on the client lessons learned things you changed or is, is that enough for today
1: um i mean look we could go on for hours and hours talking about all kinds of different uh client lessons um you know be judicious in your discovery process like it's you are not necessarily, and I, I'd like to think of it this way, um, you're not just winning their business, they're winning your expertise. Um, and so you're qualifying them as much as they're qualifying you. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's like dating. Um, you need to, you need to qualify them, uh, just the same way they're qualifying you. And, the more you, you try see, to qualify, the more life
0: will pass you by. Is that... Okay, sorry. Cake, it's a cake song. I, I was, I've i been doing too many Latin uh, <laughs> forgotten, uh, quotes, so I went with uh, one of my favorite 21st century bands.
1: Okay, well, uh, you had me more in the Latin because I actually did take Latin, so... Uh, don't do remember not, much of it, but uh, I, did, I did take
0: it. Do, do you not know cake? Cake is my favorite band since from uh, since to the year
1: 2000 i am familiar with them but not that familiar with okay. them so I, I couldn't quote any uh, any lyrics
0: they're um, amazing lyrics okay in the in the meeting notes we'll we'll I'll, I'll also put, yep. a link, uh, a, a put a link a
1: musical the, links
0: to the, to the to the youtube video as well Surpri- surprisingly good lyrics uh to kick
1: consistently I'll will uh i will put it on the Spotify. Oh yeah, it was uh, this was uh, this was a fun conversation and
0: uh, and uh, I love uh, from the story these these different processes that you've extracted. This might be the first one where I've been two ideas for to to uh, adapt for my own process. And some of the other ones I got one I got one idea, but uh, but uh, uh, thank you for the insight. It was fun.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe we'll call this one instead of like client nightmares. It'll be like client night difficulties or something. <laughs> I, mean, it's, uh, I, I don't know if this qualifies as a, a uh, kind of like a run of the mill challenges. <laughs> to uh, to uh, continue
0: with your awesome metaphor of peeing on the table, it'd be the client wet dream or peeing in the pants, <laughs> but. Uh, no, but no, but but I but I think I I do think it's important. We said before that even when it's small, to be able to learn lessons from it. So I think like the lessons that you that you learn from this story are uh, are better than a lot of the lessons that in that in other podcasts uh, people have gotten from 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 more intense stories. So I I wish everyone has less crazy clients and learns more as opposed to crazier clients
1: and learns less. <laughs> And, and ultimately your goal is to have as few crazy clients as possible. Like that's, that's Definitely. the goal. Keep them, keep them in the, the, the thick part of the bell curve.
0: Although there's a, a craziness money trade-off, I'm willing to have crazy clients if they pay me a lot. So, but.
1: <laughs> so that's another thing. Um, and I'm sure you do it as well, but, uh, Sometimes there's someone who really wants to work with you and you really don't, and you set an astronomically high number and with the hopes that they say no, but it's a number where you're okay if they say yes. Um, So if your standard minimum retainer is a thousand dollars a month or something, and you say it's gonna be 10,000, and they say, okay, you know, as long as it's enough money where you're willing to put up with it, you know, there's nothing, no harm in trying to get them to say no because it's too expensive. The worst thing that happens is they say yes.
0: I think, I think in the real world there's a trade off between, uh, uh, between, between the two. That hey, if, some, if someone's a nightmare but they're paying me a million dollars, okay, for for a million dollars I can I can put put up put up with a nightmare for for a few months.
1: Sure, exactly.
0: Um, <laughs> That also, like, also, it's <laughs> um, you know the old line, often attributed to Oscar Wilde, but it could be, um, uh, but it's it's probably like one of these quotes. Everything's attributed to Oscar Wilde, where um, where so um, uh, where where apparently Oscar Wilde once asked uh, a woman, like an, an aristocrat or uh, aristocratic woman, to sleep with him for um, uh, uh, for a million pounds i and then she said she said okay and then well how about one pound and he said what do you think i am? and she said what do you think i am a prostitute and he said well <laughs> you already agreed for the million pounds now we're just negotiating the price <laughs>
1: so that one yeah
0: so uh, so that so sometimes with with the conversation like that it feels a little bit too much like being a prostitute, like, uh, like okay, I'm willing to put up with bad stuff for more money, but also like at what point do you just become a prostitute and do um, and, and do uh, and 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 do anything? And this is a question that I've been to uh, to to think 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 about a lot, and I personally try to err on the side of of avoiding those prostitute instincts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Depends how much money it is. <laughs> <That one. laughs> for totally. a million dollars
0: maybe <laughs> maybe okay it was uh it was it was fun ca- fun catching up i'll put the musical links in the in in the notes and uh hopefully hopefully some people uh, uh hopefully everyone watching this got some good lessons and uh and contact and us with any questions or uh or comments or follow-ups and i think everyone should start using an expectations agreement as well
1: <laughs> yeah no this has been been fun we always have uh, always have fun conversations
0: okay have
1: have a good july 4th
0: weekend to be continued thanks morgan Thank you, you too thanks guys Woo!